0: Uh, my name is Johnny Reeve. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, I have the joy of being able to open up the Word of God with you all this morning. We're going through the Psalms this summer, and so we are in Psalm 7 uh, this morning. I promise you I'm going to mess with this mic the entire time because it keeps wanting to go up into my eyeball. and No one, no one wants that, so we're going to try against that. Uh, so we've got to open up Psalm 7. Um, we're going to start here. Um, do you guys remember—well, you, you, I hope you do— uh, the phrase that has become sort of this like cultural parody uh, keep calm and carry on for this, right? Do you know where that started? So uh, it was developed by the British Ministry of Information in 1939 during World War II. And the whole intent was to put up these posters to boost morale in case of a German uh, invasion of England. Uh, and so that actually didn't happen, Germany didn't invade England did a lot of other stuff, Uh, and then post-war, that whole uh, poster kind of thing fell away. We lost sight of him. We didn't see him for a while until early 2000. Uh, In a bookstore in England, somebody pulled out one of those posters and thought it was neat, threw it up on a window, and people loved it, and so they started reproducing them, and then as we know, it became this weird parody cultural phenomenon where we see t-shirts now that say, not, keep calm, and carry on. Um, the reason I talk about that is because it was just a really interesting way to approach giving people confidence. I don't know what that would look like today if we were in some wartime and we had to boost morale because of an invasion. I don't think we'd be throwing up posters everywhere. Maybe it would be, I don't know, Instagram reels or something. Um, but uh, it, it made me think a lot about what brings us confidence, and in the midst of difficult circumstances or trials in our lives or around us in culture, um, we're always looking for confidence, something to bring us confidence, right? whether it's a person um, or uh, some, something to give us that feeling. And in Psalm 7, we're looking at that this morning, is where we see David in a similar circumstance, and he needs confidence. He's in an extremely bad situation and trial, uh, and he's crying out to the Lord and looking for confidence in him. Uh, And so um, the wonderful thing about this psalm is David does give us a godly example to follow, and we're going to walk through that this morning, uh, speaking of confidence in God. So let me read this passage for us. We'll pray, and then we'll get going, okay? All right, so Psalm 7, starting in verse 1. Here we go. I'm going to give the title to, and forgive me if I mispronounce this word. It's a weird word. A Shigeon of David, which he sang to the Lord concerning the words of Cush, Cush the Benjamite. O Lord my God, in you do I take refuge. Save me from all my pursuers and deliver me. Lest like a lion they tear my soul apart, rending it in pieces with none to deliver. O Lord my God, if I have done this, if there is wrong in my hands... If I have repaid my friend with evil or plundered my enemy without cause, let the enemy pursue my soul and overtake it. And let him trample my life to the ground and lay my glory in the dust. Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Lift yourself up against the fury of my enemies. Awake for me. You have appointed a judgment. Let the assembly of the peoples be gathered about you over it, return on high. The Lord judges the peoples, Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to the integrity that is in me. O let the evil of the wicked come to an end, and may you establish the righteous. You who test the minds and hearts, O righteous God. My shield is with God, who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. If a man does not repent, God will wet his sword. He is bent and ready to bow. He has prepared for him his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. Behold, the wicked man conceives evil and is pregnant with mischief and gives birth to lies. He makes a pit, digging it out, and falls into the hole that he has made. His mischief returns upon his own head, and on his own skull his violence descends. I will give to the Lord the thanks due to his righteousness And I will sing praise to the name of the Lord at the Most High. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. And we pray as we look into it deeply, God, that we would see you and that you would increase our faith in you. And we thank you, God, for your grace to give us examples of real-life circumstances that we can learn from. Um, that we can see sin for what it is and run from it to you and trust you with our lives uh, and every every trouble, every worry or concern that we have, that we bring them to you. Uh, We thank you and praise you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so let's go through some context of this particular psalm. So this is a psalm of David. And um, we're not really sure the time period of when this was written, although some context clues would uh, lead us to believe that it was before he became king. And then it's called, like I said, that weird word a shigeon. It's a weird word. What does that mean? Uh, A couple things. It's a passionate psalm, right? So it's a psalm of intense emotion or strong emotion. Uh, which made me giggle a little bit, because oftentimes I like to think of the psalms as like this sort of classical music, right? Harps and lyres and things, soft, soothing. Um, Whether that's true or not, I'm not sure. But this one is more like hard rock, okay? Right, it's just like lots of distortion and drums and things. Um, And then it also means to wander and cry aloud, which again, I, I relate a lot of things to the psalms, or I relate to them personally, And so if you've ever been in a really big or difficult circumstance where you just need to take a minute and go on a walk, like this is the psalm, right? Uh, And so you can imagine David just like wandering around wherever he is, just like weeping and crying aloud uh, with intense emotion because he's in this terrible trial, in this terrible circumstance. And then it says that he's saying this to the Lord concerning the words of Cush the Benjamite. Now who is that? We're not sure either. I'm not giving you a lot of for sure facts here, I apologize. Uh, But Cush, the only one we really know of was the son of Noah, and it's been a while, so it's not him. Uh, And then the Benjamite gives us a little bit of a clue as well, and it's very likely, given some other context uh, in verses three through five, that it might be Saul, or it might be a family member of Saul, because they were in the same tribe, Benjamin. Uh, So it's possible that this is a relative of Saul who's now made David his enemy and is coming after him and accusing him of all sorts of different things. Or it could be Saul himself just using a fake name. Regardless, we have that context to help us as well. And this is a Psalm of David, and again it's a response to these accusations uh, that that Cush the Benjamite is uh, coming after David with. And it's David's real, honest response and cry out to the Lord. Right, so that's what this—that's uh, what this psalm sort of entails, and uh, it's really broken up for us very easily. So I want to walk through five different things with us this morning. So the first one is his prayer. We're talking about David. Sorry, David's prayer. David's status is number two. Number three is David's faith. Number four is David's David's insight. Number five is David's resolve. And a couple things along the way I want you to look for. The biggest one is I want you to see David's confidence in God, right? He has confidence in God, and it's a beautiful example for us. I also want you to see sort of this pathway and progression that the psalm leads us on, because it's David's progression as he prays and kind of cries out to the Lord, but also you kind of see this progression of, um, I guess, your, your opportunity for either integrity, character under the Lord, or sin, You kind of see that progression woven into this psalm as well. Uh, Okay, so let's talk first with about David's prayer. This is verses one and two. Uh, So again, David's being accused and attacked and come after by Cush the Benjamite. With all these things that are untrue of him, and a lot of them, again, I think context would lead us to believe that uh, if we remember the context of Saul and David, uh, Saul was the king, Saul screwed up, God said, no, you're not the king anymore. He sent Samuel to go anoint the runt of the family, which was David. Uh, but then there was all this, like, who takes over? How does this work? Saul was unwilling to give up the throne, and so he was like, I'm going to go kill David. I'm going to kill his entire family, most likely, so that I can keep the kingdom. I can keep the throne. That is essentially most likely the context that we are in with this. So it's not just like, you know, somebody saying David's like a bad shepherd or something like that. This is a very intense circumstance. Uh, so at the beginning of this prayer, the first thing David says is, O Lord my God, in you I take refuge. Save me from all my pursuers and deliver me, lest a lion tear apart my soul, running it into pieces with none to deliver. And so as I read this, the first thing that stands out to me is, the first thing he says is, oh God, I trust you. Right? First thing. And if I'm really honest, when I'm in a really bad circumstance, such that I want to like go outside and wander aloud and cry and scream, um, I don't think that my heart is there yet. And that you see the confidence that David has to come before the Lord and say, I trust you. My life is in your hands. You're the safest place for me. That's the first thing he says stood out to me. And I think about like my response, or maybe your response as well, is oftentimes it's not trust in God quite yet. Oftentimes in a circumstance that he, David, finds himself in, oftentimes it's more fight or flight right? So we have options. We either take matters into our own hands, right? We try and fix the problem. We try to take action or take control or fight back, which often leads us into the same sins that are kind of being uh, sinned against us with, right? So we could take action or we can run, right? Fight or flight. We can run. We can escape. We can avoid. We can deflect. We can numb because we don't want to feel the difficulty that the circumstance brings. But David trusted the Lord immediately. His first words out of his mouth, you're my refuge. The second thing I want us to see within uh, David's prayer is that, again, this is a high stakes circumstance. And you see that in his language. He says, I fear that a lion is going to tear apart my soul with none to, to deliver me. And sometimes I think we think, because David does, he uses a very artistic language. Uh, Except we remember that David was a shepherd, and I think he actually saw lions tear things apart often, right? He killed lions. They were trying to tear apart his own flock. So this is something he's literally seen. So I don't think he's being over the top in these words necessarily, but you you see the honesty and the feelings that he actually has given the circumstance he finds himself in, right? It's not some minor problem. It's huge. It's all-encompassing. But it led me to, uh, to think about this as well as, that in this circumstance, David says, I trust you, God. You're my refuge. Please save me and deliver me. But then for us, sometimes I think we read this and we say, well, my problems aren't that big of a deal. So I'm just not going to bring them to God, right? We read this and we say, well, you know, no one's coming after me to kill me and my whole family. I don't think I feel to the level that a lion's going to tear my soul apart. Or maybe you do, but either way, sometimes I think we, we try to fix our problems but we don't think that God cares about them if they don't level up to this example. And so I would just remind you that uh, God cares about you personally. He cares about the things you're feeling right now that you brought into uh, this room in your heart. Right? He cares about those for each one of you. And his word backs it up. He says he wants us to cast all of our cares to him, not just the big ones, not just the important ones. He says, come to me, all you who are weary, and I'll give you rest. He doesn't say, come to you when you finally have a big problem, and then I'll care for you. And then we reference it in in Psalm 34, right? He says, call to me, and I'll answer you and and save you from all your fears and all your troubles, not just the big ones. So I think sometimes we hedge a little bit and say, well, this isn't a big deal. I'll take care of it myself, when God would have us cry out to him in all the fears and all the concerns that we have. But again, I want to highlight in David's prayer, his confidence was in God, and he knew that God was the only solution forward. So that's David's prayer. The next is David's status. That's verses three through five. This is where sometimes I really relate to David in the way he expresses himself emotionally. I feel like I'm kind of wired that way. Then he says stuff, and I'm like, I would never say that. So then I don't relate to him any longer. Um, And you see a lot of this in here, right? Uh, So in verses three through five, he essentially describes his status before God, and he's claiming innocence. So he's being accused of all these things, and he's saying, no, I'm innocent, I didn't do those things. Right? So 3 through 5 says, "Oh so Lord my God, if I've done this, if there's any wrong in my hands, if I've repaid my friend with evil or plundered my enemy without cause, let the enemy pursue my soul and overtake it, and let them trample my life to the ground and lay my glory in the dust. Whew. Uh, that's a lot. Right? So he's maintaining his innocence uh, in a very profound and very specific way. And he's essentially saying, if I'm not innocent, Lord, let him have me. Let him win. And again, that's hard, I think, and uncomfortable for us because I don't know that I would say that. Because what, you know, there's a small chance that I'm wrong or a small chance that I did do something incorrect. I love this, though, because even the way that it's phrased, though, is he maintains his innocence, but he does it in such a way that he highlights God as judge, right? He doesn't say, uh, God, I didn't do this. He's like, if I have done this, right? He's, he's essentially saying, if I'm guilty, and God, you're judge, you're the perfect judge that sees all and knows all, then let him have me. Let me reap the consequences of my sin. But God is judge, not him even though he maintains his innocence. And I think it's also, again, a very honest prayer, right? He's not trying to manipulate God, uh, or it's not tongue-in-cheek where he's trying to get something by saying something kind of courageous. Um, And it's also not presumptuous or arrogant, right? I think sometimes when I read, and I love that Pastor Nate said this at the very beginning of this series, is sometimes um, it's hard to relate because we, I don't know, we try and think of ourselves as David, even though we're not. Uh, And so in this, uh, his innocence, he's talking not just innocent in life in general. He's not saying, I'm perfect. I don't mess up. I don't make mistakes. But he's talking very specifically about this circumstance. He's saying, I'm innocent. I think that's even bold to say, and I think it takes a lot of emotion and courage for him to say because he didn't really sign up for anything that he's going through, right? Saul was king. God said no. He made David king. David wasn't like knocking the door down of Israel saying like, can I be king? Saul's a bad king. Uh, He didn't ask for any of these things to kind of come his way, and yet now he finds himself where he does. But his confidence still remains uh, in God. Uh, The the other thing that I want you to see in this as well is uh, you see David's confidence in the way that um, he has confidence in God as the righteous judge who sees and knows. Again, he puts himself, his innocence, in the way that God is judged, and he trusts that God will make the right decision, that God sees all and knows all. And he actually talks about that later as well, which we'll, we'll, we'll cover. There's also an implication in here that while he's innocent currently, he intends to maintain his innocence. Right? He intends to maintain his character, which I appreciate because, again, if we think about King David, um, one of the things he was known for is being um, very successful in war, right? He wasn't allowed to build the temple because God said he had blood on his hands, right? And so um, if he wanted to fix the problem, he very well could have pretty easily, right? It's no problem for him to say, oh yeah, uh, Saul's after me, but I'll just kill him and then we're good. Uh, but he he didn't do that and he was intending to continue to keep his innocence and his purity and his integrity before the Lord, right? So I appreciate that you kind of see that, and we see that more fleshed out as well. David's confidence is not in himself, right? David's confidence is in God that God will deliver him. So that's his status. Third, his faith. This is verses 6 through 11. So now it gets more uncomfortable, in my opinion, uh, as David continues to like flesh all this out. Starting in verse 6, he essentially uh, asks God to bring justice and judgment on the wicked, right? And again, very specific. Verse 6, it says, Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Lift yourself up against the fury of my enemies. Awake for me. You have appointed a judgment. Let the assembly of the peoples be gathered about you. Over it return on high. The Lord judges the peoples. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to the integrity that is in me. I'll let the evil of the wicked come to an end, and may you establish the righteous. You who test the minds and hearts, O righteous God, my shield is with God, who saves the upright in heart. God is a judge, a God who feels indignation every day. So David calls on God to rise and expresses anger and fury and judgment on the wicked. And there's an aspect of this that we are comfortable with, right? Unless, it's, unless we're unsure of ourselves and are standing before God, Right? So we're like, yes, God, smite the wicked, unless it's me, and then don't, right? And like, judge the horrible people, unless I'm in that category, and then be merciful, please, right? So it's uncomfortable for us to say this, and some of it exposes where our confidence lies. Because we're comfortable saying that, and I heard a a professor say this once, I don't know, it was a pastor, he says, we're very judgmental uh, to people that uh, struggle with things that we're good at. Right? So if you're timely, you just judge people if they're late all the time. Like, how could you be late? That's not a problem for me. But then we're very merciful to people that struggle with the same things we struggle with, right? So if you are a late person, when people are late, oh, no worries. That's my problem too. I get it. Some of that comes up in with this, right? So our confidence in God is sure unless we're, un- unless we're unsure of some of the categories of our life, unless we have some sin that we know that we're still struggling with that we haven't confessed, we haven't repented of. But so, even in that, for David to say these things, you see where his confidence lies, right? He's comfortable saying, like, destroy the wicked, right? Why? Because he knows that, and we'll see this later, we see this in the end of this section, he knows he's covered by God, right? He knows he's still wicked, he knows he's still sinful, and we see that played out in his life, you know, all the history that we have in the Bible, um, but he knows that he's covered by God. He's not sitting up there saying all these things, which again, I would, I have, I have a lot of uncomfortability saying things that like, judge me according to my righteousness and my integrity. Right? But he knows he's covered by God. He's not saying, I'm a perfect person, so you can judge me because I have no problems. Right? So you see this confidence that he has. Second, Uh, David, like I said, includes himself in this call for judgment. He's self-aware, too. He understands uh, that God is a righteous judge and that he's able to judge in this sense. And again, he's even maintaining his innocence yet again, saying, um, judge me according to my righteousness and according to the integrity that is within me. I'd like to think uh, David— excuse me, my son's name is Davis, so I messed this up. Sorry, buddy— I like to think he's talking about it in two ways, and this is sometimes why we struggle with the things that David says, uh, is that oftentimes David's talking about the here and now when it comes to judgment, and we're thinking like end-of-the-world judgment, right? And that's, that's in line here too. That's why he can say these like, very strong things that he's saying. Um, but he's talking about bring judgment to the people that are causing the circumstance now, Cush the Benjamite, like my enemies, but, but it, it it's also leaning towards God's final judgment. It's both, right? And so he's able to say these things like, I'm innocent, so yeah, judge me. I didn't do it. But he's also saying, I'm hidden in God, so judge me because God's my shield. God's my covering. And then you see that confidence in some of the things that he says, right? He says, end the wicked, establish the righteous. Uh, he says, um, you who test the minds and hearts, O righteous God. It reminds me of Psalm 139, right? Search me and know me. Like, test me and see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. David's aware of these things. He's not aware of perfection and integrity that he has in and of himself. His confidence is not in himself. His confidence is in a just and holy God who judges perfectly, but who also is his covering, right? He says, Uh, My shield is with God who saves the upright in heart. The the reason he's able to be upright in heart is because God is his shield. God is a righteous judge who feels indignation every day. Again, David would know that, right? That means God feels indignation because of our sin every day, because we sin every day, and we need his shield to cover us every day. So again, you see more and more and more of David's confidence in God that God will deliver him from this trial, but also will deliver him from his, his own personal sin come final judgment. Number four, David's insight, verses 12 through 16. So here's where we see David's faith and understanding of God kind of continue to take shape because you see sort of this um, familiar progression that sin leads people towards. It says if a man does not repent God will wet his sword he is bent and ready his bow he has prepared for him his deadly weapons making his arrows fiery shafts behold the wicked man conceives evil and is pregnant with mischief and gives birth to lies he makes a pit digging it out and falls in the hole that he's made his mischief returns upon his own head and on his own skull his violence descends David sees that the only real path forward is trusting in God, because he sees the path that sin leads towards. He sees that progression, right? It's one we know, right? Romans 6, the wages of sin is death. He knows that. James 1, right? It talks about this very, the same language, this idea that sin, when full-born, leads to death. When full-grown, it's using this sort of imagery of pregnancy, right? It starts here when it grows, eventually when it's fullborn leads to death. That's the way that sin goes. And even Proverbs 26 says, whoever digs a pit will fall into it, right? You reap what you sow. So if you're going to walk that way in sin and wickedness, you'll be destroyed in the end. And I was talking with a friend earlier this week. It's interesting though, that David sees this and we know that he still sins, right? It's weird for somebody to see that so clearly and write it down like that and then to fall into different lots of different sins over the course of your life. You figure they wouldn't, but that's the reality of humanity. That's why our confidence needs to be in God, not in ourselves because we're weak. We can know that clear as day and then go, you know, do what they do, what David did with Bathsheba. Like how does that, how does that happen? We're weak, we need God. We need to be confident in him. And then the other thing that I love about this as well is he understands the reality of the pervasiveness of sin, but also our need for God, because at the very beginning of that section, he says, If a man does not repent. So he understands that our, our way forward is not to be confident and to achieve perfection and make sure we never make mistakes. Our way forward is God is our confidence, God is our covering by repenting. When we do sin, which we will do, which he did, which he's done, right? And it's he's aware of it as he talks about, again, a God who feels indignation every day. Sin is pervasive, so he needs he needs God's covering, but we, we have the opportunity that God's given us to repent and run to him. Okay, last one, David's resolve. This is verse 17. And if you see, for the most part, the way that the, well, if you're looking at the paper Bible, uh, the way that I've sort of broken it up or I've kind of saw it broke up, had broken up, kind of goes along with the little paragraphs. But then verse 17 sort of stands alone, right? So after all this, you see David's resolve, his response. He's praying to the Lord, crying out to him in intense emotion and anguish. And then he sort of stops, right? And I think I remind you of, sometimes when we read the Psalms too, is I think we treat them like a sitcom, where like in 30 minutes there's a problem and then it's fixed, right? And so sometimes I think we read this and we're like, well, he was praying and then he got a text and was like, Cush is not saying those things anymore. We're all good. Like, no problem. And he's like, oh, all right. Uh, that's not happening. Okay, the problem is still the same. Nothing's changed for his circumstance, right? Nothing's changed. And yet, when you read verse 17, everything's changed. So it's kind of a head scratcher where you're saying, What's happening? It seems as though his posture's changed. It seems as though his countenance has changed. It seems as though his response, clearly, he's doing something different now. He's not wandering aloud, like weeping and screaming and lamenting. Right? Sometimes when you're praying, this is, again, I'm a worship leader, so forgive me, but sometimes I think when we're praying, we're very much in the circumstance that we're in. Right? We're praying about it. We're thinking about it. We're emoting over it. We're asking God questions. We're trying to make sense of it. Then he stops here and it says that he's giving thanks and he's singing praise. And there's an aspect where we're in it. And then when you worship, you're, you're above it now. Right? So I almost have this picture of David stopping. He's said all the things that he's said. And now his eyes are open. He's able to take a deep breath. He's able to cast his eyes upward and be thankful and worship The Lord for the deliverance He's given. Right, it's this idea of moving from prayer to praise. And again, not that I'm not pitting one against the other. Not that prayer is bad and praise is good. I'm not saying that. But there's a there's a you're sort of in the problem with prayer, and you're sort of above the problem to a certain extent. When we're moving to worship, it's a different response. But it highlights this sense that David understands that he is delivered, even though he's not delivered yet. He is. That's the same confidence we have, where we live in this kind of middle area of the, the we have and we have not yet, right, with Christ. And you see this picture of that with David. And because he understands he can have confidence in God, even though he's not delivered yet, he can have confidence that God will deliver him. He's sure of it. So much so that he's able to give thanks to God and praise him before it's done. Which is so weird, if we're honest, right? I think most of us would just wait and be like, God, can you do this? Great. When you do, then I will say thank you. And then I will worship you. But David does it in real time. Because his confidence in God is that strong. Okay. So how do we respond to this? Right. So maybe some of you came in this room this morning and you're in some pretty intense circumstances yourself. And again, don't hedge. Don't say, well, yeah, I'm not, again, I'm not getting chased by Saul, so no big deal. But it's okay to come in and say, like, well, life is hard right now for lots of different reasons. I'm fearful. I'm worried. I have anxiety. Relationships are tense. Job is hard. I feel physically unwell. God cares about all those things. So how are we to respond, given the example of David, how are we to respond to those things that we brought in this morning that are in our lives, in our hearts? So the first is, these are the things I'm coming up with. So, you know, uh, first is have confidence in God. Like, I actually pray about them first. Just try it. And I'm just talking to myself here, too. I'm a fixer, right? So it's like, well, okay, I'll pray once I've tried everything else, okay? When, when I'm, like, you know, out of options, I'll pray. Why don't we try and challenge you guys as well? If you're feeling something, you're feeling that tension in your heart, in your mind. Stop and pray. Acknowledge your confidence in God. Right, verbalize it. Say it out loud. Specifically, be honest with where you are with the Lord. Like David was so honest. Be honest with where you are, and then make sure that your actions sort of embody that trust as well. Because sometimes we can pray and say all these things while we're all like sneaking off to try and fix the problem over here, right? So have confidence in God and pray and seek him in that one. Two, uh, watch your step. And by that I mean kind of what I was alluding to. Be careful that we don't take steps uh, in sin when we're in difficult circumstances. Oftentimes the enemy would like to use those circumstances to destroy us. Um, one of my dad's favorite verses—I remember growing up, not favorite verses, but one he said all the time—and I get it now—is uh, the devil prowls around like a roaring, roaring lion, waiting for somebody to destroy. Right? He's he's crouching at your uh, at your door, right? And you see that kind of uh, that imagery, but Satan's waiting, right, for an opportunity and a foothold. And a difficult circumstance would be a great one where you're just like, you know what, I can't trust God. I'm going to trust myself. I'm going to get my hands dirty engaging in the same sins that are being sinned against me with. And then, then what, right? Then we saw the progression of sin, at least to death. Right? And then even with David, he said, ask God to show you areas where maybe you have sinned. Oftentimes, that's true for me. I'm in a bad circumstance. By the time I get to the awareness of, oh, I need to trust the Lord, I've already made some missteps that I need to now walk back. So repent, right? With others and with the Lord. So watch your step. Third is be ready. And by that, I mean, I think sometimes when difficult things happen, we're confused. We're like, why is this happening? We're trying to make sense of it. And that's okay. Some of that's okay. But Jesus tells us that troubles are going to come, right? He says, but take heart because I've overcome the world, right? Uh, 2 Timothy 3 talks about how Uh, times are going to get more wicked, not less, more contentious, not less. So don't be confused when that happens and when it brings difficult circumstances into your life and the the lives around you. 1 Peter 4 talks about how trials will come, but we can endure because of Christ. We actually can endure in the midst of those trials. It's not hopeless for us because we can have confidence in God. And the fourth, so have confidence in God, watch your step, be ready, and the fourth is praise God, right? Actually worship him. Sometimes when circumstances are upon us and they're hard, we just think there's, the hope is all lost, right? Like, how will we get out of this? How will we move forward? Um, but our confidence is in the fact that God has overcome that for us. We have to remember that. We have to remember that. I need to remember that. Hebrews 12 says that, for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross for us, right? So all the things you saw David having to endure, Jesus endured even more, right? People were shaming him, hurling insults at him, accusing things he'd never done, wounding him, and then finally killing him, and he did all that for the joy for you, for you, for me. He became sin even though he knew no sin so that we could be righteous. The righteousness David's describing is saying, I have righteousness, I have integrity. It's not his, it's God's given to him through Christ, right? Jesus did that for you and for me so we can endure in difficult circumstances. So we're able to praise him, we're able to rise above our circumstances to a certain extent, right? Because we trust so deeply in God. And I'm encouraging that because I see that in you all right? In real time. I mean, I could list countless examples of people where I see confidence that I don't have, that I see you all embodying, not because you're perfect people, but because you are confident in the Lord, right? To deliver you. I love that. Um, So I said, I'm a worship leader. I'm not sorry about it. Um, I wanted to close, uh, since it's a psalm, it just felt appropriate. I wanted to close with uh, the lyrics of one verse of one of my favorite uh, hymns that ironically somehow we've, I don't know that we've ever sung here. I've been trying a couple times, didn't work out. Um, but I thought it paired and just really uh, helped us understand the confidence we can have in God, given the song we walked through. The hymn is called Be Still My Soul. And so I'll read uh, verse one of this and then I'll pray, okay? That's what it says. It says, Be still, my soul, the Lord is on your side. Bear patiently the cross of grief or shame. Leave to your God to order and provide. In every change, he faithful will remain. Be still, my soul, your best, your heavenly friend, through thorny ways leads to a joyful end. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning, God. I thank you that you are a God who is faithful uh, to be our help, a God who listens when we cry out to you, a God who is good to deliver us from our fears, our concerns, our needs, our troubles, all of them, as we trust in you. And God, I I think it's... very likely that most of us have come in this morning with a trouble of some kind that we're bearing and walking with. God, and I thank you that we know that you're there with us, that you will deliver us, that you will provide for us, that you will protect us, you will give us what we need, what we most need in you. We pray that you would build our confidence in you, maybe through this particular circumstance we're walking through that our faith would grow, that we know, just like David knew, that we can completely be confident in you because you will deliver us, God. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.